So if you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. Hallelujah. Don't you, I mean, even just saying the word revelation, and you're like, whoa, there's the Spirit of God right there. <laughs> Woo! Revelation, chapter 3. The opening book, uh, opening parts of Revelation, the Apostle John, he, he, gets this, he gets this vision, right, from the Spirit of God, and he sees things unfold in the throne room of heaven, and then the Spirit of God is speaking to him and telling him, giving him instructions to write these things down. Now, the first few chapters of Revelation are basically seven letters, seven encouragements and rebukes that John gives to seven different churches. And the one we're going to read about today is a church from a place called Laodicea. Laodicea. And so if you have them, your Bibles, open them up to chapter 3 in Revelation. We're going to read starting in verse 14. It says, And the angel of the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, and the, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed." And anoint your eyes with salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sit down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much right now in this moment. And God, we ask you to come and speak to us today. Hallelujah. Lord, just have your way in this place. I yield to you, Holy Spirit. I ask God, please anoint me. Speak through me today. Lord, if you don't, then I have nothing to offer. But God, through you, all things are possible. And I trust that you will bring forth the words that we all need to hear. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this particular church that we've just talked about is, again, the church of Laodicea, which Laodicea is an area close to Ephesus, heavily influenced by Greek culture. And when you read these letters to these seven churches, you have to understand that there's diff- there are different ways to interpret these, okay? First of all, there is historical interpretation, which means that every one of these letters were being written to seven distinct churches that actually existed and were functioning in that present time of history. So every one of these letters were delivered to these churches where the body of Christ, where believers were congregating and fellowshipping. So there was a present There was a a historical in the past, that time, present application that was happening. 
These were rebukes that John was giving to some of the churches saying, hey, you need to change these things. And in some cases, he was encouraging them for some of their good conduct. Um, so there's historical. There is also prophetic significance in the way that we interpret these, meaning the issues that were at hand that were being addressed, that were being talked about in these letters with these churches were situations and issues that would continue to be things that needed to be talked about and addressed throughout the church, throughout all generations to come. So it wasn't just a momentary application. It was something that was applying to them there, but it was something that would apply to the church for all the years and generations that would be ahead. Now, the third way that some people come at this is what's called a dispensational interpretation as well. And they don't necessarily, any of them negate the others, okay? But in the dispensational approach, they say that these different letters to these different churches had significance in different time periods as well, like very specific. And so for those people that look at it that way, this is what's interesting, is that the church of Laodicea, the issue that's being addressed there is being said to have application in the end times toward the latter days in church fulfillment before Jesus would return. Why is that important? Because the issue that's being addressed, that's being rebuked, that's being called out here in this church is an issue where people, believers in the church, have reached a place, a state, that the Bible describes as being lukewarm, as being lukewarm. And I want to talk to you today um, about not being lukewarm, about not being in a place in your relationship with God where you're indifferent to things, where there's no conviction, where there's no passion, where there's no fire, where there's no drive, where there's no purpose, where there's no willingness to stand up, make hard decisions, make difficult choices, and follow God down a path of adversity no matter what the costs are. Like Jesus said, he said, you're going to have to count the cost if you're going to follow me. And we need to understand that it is not always going to be easy to follow Jesus. I wish I could tell you it was. I really do. I wish I could say, it's so simple. You're never going to have a problem. And you're just going to follow Jesus and it's all going to be sunshine and rainbows. Now, I do believe if you walk with him closely, you'll never lose joy. You'll never lose peace. You'll never lose satisfaction, fulfillment in the, from the king, that you get from the king of kings. But I certainly cannot tell you that it's not going to be hard because it will. It definitely will. And this church in Laodicea had reached this place where they were, they were lukewarm. And they weren't always that way. In fact, Jesus is saying as he's speaking, he's saying, I rebuke you because I love you. I chasten you because I love you and I care about you. You say, I, I love this people, but something has kind of happened here. Something has changed. They've, they've shifted into a state, into a place of being lukewarm. And lukewarm, as far as the Bible describes it, is never a good place to be. He says, you need to be hot or cold. You, you need to, those are extreme temperatures on both sides. And you need to be that way in your relationship with God and in your faith. And you need to not be lukewarm. Now, here's what's interesting about lukewarm. Is if you give me a really hot cup of coffee 
or you give me a very ice cold cup of water and we just set it down and just let it sit and do nothing with it, then it will eventually become lukewarm because it will conform, hear me, it will change and conform to the natural elements and circumstances around it. Nothing potent and lukewarm. My kids, they like to do ice-cold lemonade stands in the summer down by the end of the driveway, you know, and they'll set up shop and do their little business and sell, and people will stop by and buy ice-cold lemonade from them. And then I'll make sure that they tithe, and then they tax it, that we get it, take our cut too, you know, all that. <laughs> Practice what we preach, you heard Mike say it, you know. But it's funny, I mean, they probably, I can't imagine that they would do real good if they had a sign out there and it didn't say ice cold lemonade, it said lukewarm lemonade. I mean, on these nice, crisp fall mornings, if I were to tell you, hey, come on in and come here, get here a little bit early, and we got hospitality out in the lobby, come on in and enjoy a nice, lukewarm cup of coffee. You're like, what? Lukewarm. Right? There's nothing potent about, about lukewarm, but that's where this church had got to. And what fascinates me is that they've gotten to this place, guy. They've gotten to a state of being lukewarm because they have everything. This is what's like really crazy that makes you think about this whole situation. He says, listen, how did he say it? And he says that you have, you have said, uh, I am rich, I've become wealthy, I have need of nothing. They have been so absorbed and caught up in the world in all the pleasures and the things that they are. Because, listen, this was a very successful, thriving economy. When you study the history of Laodicea, you find out that, first of all, they had lots of gold. And so it was a, it was a banking industry, very economically uh, thriving they had textiles. They had this kind of rare type of wool that they had with this black coloring, I believe. And so they used it to make clothing and different garments. And so they were thriving there. And then they had this medicinal salve that was used to really help with healing properties and eye conditions at the times and things like that. So they were thriving. Like they were doing so well. But the problem was is they'd start to put their dependency and their security on these things. They were doing so well that they forgot how desperate they actually were. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across to him. He's saying, he's not saying don't prosper, that prosperity is bad. We know the Bible says the hand of the diligent will become prosperous. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, 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 you've become prosperous, but you've put your trust in those things. Uh, you see, you've found fulfillment in something outside of me and security in something outside of me that you should only be getting from me. And he said, really, I wish you could just see how poor, how desperate, and how in need you truly are. Because if you did, you wouldn't be lukewarm. You'd be on fire. You'd be filled with passion and purpose, and you'd be pursuing me no matter what the cost. So I think that today, especially, our culture makes it really easy to 
become a convenient Christian. Oh, I just said it. Oh, man, I did. I just said it. People are like, oh, he's going there. No, it's true. It's true. And I mean, I'm going to put myself in the same boat. It's, it's just easy, right? Culture has trained us to think about things like we are ordering off of a menu. What is going to meet my needs? What is going, you know, let me, just, let me just look at the church menu and let me just make sure they got all the options that I want. Let me just check off every box and let me just make sure this all fits. It's all convenient to the way I need it to be to meet my needs. Which is totally opposite of what Jesus says about following him. He says, no, 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 you've got to lay your life down to gain it, actually. You actually have to lose your life. Ouch. But culture just makes it really easy to be a convenient Christian and to not even realize that we're doing this. And then we will eventually, if we, if we live our lives, if we follow Jesus that way, we will eventually start to slip into this place where we could start to become lukewarm and never even realize it. And I will say this, a lukewarm representation of the gospel is no accurate representation of the gospel. That's why Jesus says in these verses, he says, if you're lukewarm, I vomit you out of my mouth. I mean, let's look at all the things that Jesus said. He said, um, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. He said, you're either for me or you're against me. Jesus was very polarizing. Have you noticed that? I mean, there wasn't gray and 50 shades of it at that. With Jesus, there just wasn't. There's no neutral ground. Come on, am I talking to anybody today? I mean, Jesus was polarizing. Let me tell you something. We read this Bible long enough. We hear this word preached enough, and I mean the whole Bible front to back. It's going to hurt sometimes. I mean, it just is. You preach this this Bible from front to back, yes, God will grow the church, but let me tell you something. There's people that are going to leave too if you preach that whole thing because it's going to hurt. But this is my point. I guess I just have to tell you this. I don't know. I'm accountable to God for what I, what I share, what I preach, what I say. And I just feel I have to tell you this, that if you want to follow Jesus, if you really want to sell out and give him your life, there's going to be points in your life and in your walk where it's going to be really hard to do it. I mean, it's going to cost you something. It really is. Where are you at on that? Are you okay with that or is it convenient Christianity? Like as long as I don't have to give things up. I like to get things and praise God he gives us all the supernatural spiritual blessings from the heavenly places. But I don't want to give things up. That's that convenient Christianity. That's slipping into lukewarm mode. It's got to go both ways. Jesus has to have access to our heart. Which means that he has to be able to deposit things but he also has to be able to remove things. Oh my gosh. Hallelujah. He has to be able to remove things too. And so my encouragement to us today is to be ready for when it gets hard. Be ready when you look at the situation and you say, okay, to keep following Jesus is truly going to cost me something. 
It's going to cost me that relationship. It's going to cost me my popularity. It's going to cost me my standing and my image with people. Hmm. I mean, there are times when it's, it's going to cost and it's going to hurt. But the choice is clear. We either follow him or we don't. Right? And he says, follow me and forsake everything else. Forsake all other paths. That means there's no alternative option that's a godly option. There's only his path. <laughs> he says, follow me. I remember when Katie and I, we uh, were really getting on fire for God. She was brought up in the church. I was a heathen. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I wasn't. I should, my mom will kill me. Oh, my gosh. No, that's not true. I just didn't know the Lord until I was older. But um, how am I going to get out of that one? Um, Anyway, I'm just going to move on. So, <clears throat> Katie was brought up in the church, but I didn't get saved until I was 22 years old. And we just started really getting on fire for Jesus. I mean, really, right off the bat, I just, he just won my heart, you know? I mean, he just, he just won my heart right off the bat. And it was like, sell out, man. This is everything for you, Lord. And that sounded great. But over the first few years of walking with him, golly, it just seemed like there was a lot of things that I had to put down. It's like, man, you know, you can't do that anymore. You can't, you got to get rid of this. This isn't helping you. This is hurting you. And I'm just like, man, it's just hard, you know. But at the same time, it was like, <laughs> I mean, it's not a hard decision. It's just hard to do. <laughs> I know that this is what you're saying. So I'm not contemplating not doing it. It's just like, Lord, help me do it. <laughs> I need the strength, you know. But here's what happened. As we did that, and we started naturally, gradually making those changes and those choices, moving more in the direction of God, um, things started to polarize around us, too. I mean, we, we lost some relationships that we had had for a long time. We, we changed some lifestyle things around that caused us to lose some friends, people to misunderstand us and... Not, not really judge our motives properly and, and all these things. Anybody else ever been there before? And I'm just going to be real. It hurt bad. It hurt. It cut. But at the end of the day, we knew we had to follow Jesus. We knew that we had to do what he was calling us to do. And Jesus will bring us to these points in our lives where he will present some things to us and then he will turn up the heat. He will turn the temperature up and say, okay, it's not convenient anymore. It's not easy anymore. It's going to be really hard. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? There's this whole scene in the Gospel of John chapter 6 where Jesus does this exact thing with his disciples. And it happens right after he gets done feeding 5,000 people. He multiplies the bread. And then all these people are following him. Following, right? Him. Seeking him. And they come to him after he crosses over the sea. And they say, Jesus, Jesus, come, you know. And they want what Jesus has to offer. And Jesus says something really strong. He says, you're only seeking me because your, breads are, your bellies are full. You, you, you're only seeking me because I just multiplied the bread and met your practical needs. 
And so what he's getting ready to do is he's getting ready to do a, a work. He's going to say some things that are going to really test their commitment level now. He's going to sift some things, which Jesus will do. He will raise us up to a place and say, okay, it's going to get hard. I'm going to see where you're at with this. And so the people come and he says, you're just following me because your, your bellies are full, you know, multiplied the bread. And they want him to keep doing that. And he says, that's, that's not really what I'm here for. I'm actually the bread that's come down from heaven. Okay, here we go. He's getting into something different now. Wait a minute. Whoa, hold on. My comfort level's starting to ding. I'm not liking what you're saying here. We, we just want the bread that we had yesterday. That was good. I think it was right out of Panera. I mean, it was good. It was a little honey butter on that. I mean, we just, we're going to do just fine, Jesus. Okay? No. He says, I'm the bread of life, and I've come down from heaven. And then he says these really hard things where he goes, look, if, if you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, then you'll have everlasting life. And he says, that bread that, you that your fathers had in the wilderness, that manna from heaven that Moses brought them, they ate that, but they're still dead. That was physical sustenance. It met their physical needs, but they still died. But I'm bringing you something that will help you live eternally. And if you'll eat my flesh and you'll drink my blood, then you will never die. Yeah. Now I'm being real. That would be weird to hear. Right? Eat his flesh and drink his blood? What? And here's the crazy thing. They never got the full revelation in this moment of what he was talking about. You know, I mean, they didn't know like communion, the Lord's Supper, and we're going to have the bread and the wine. They didn't know all this right here. But Jesus unloaded it on them because he wanted to see where they were at. He wanted to find out where their commitment level was. Because now it's going to get hard to keep following him. It was real easy when all they had to do was climb a hill and, and get a big buffet of fish and bread. Now Jesus is saying some things that are really challenging them. And what does it say happens? It says, after these things, many of his disciples left him and followed him no more. Wow. Polarizing. Commitment level. Separation. Now it gets hard. But Peter responds in a just remarkable way. Jesus says, uh, he looks at Peter and the disciples and he says this. He says, what are you guys going to do? Do you want to go too? You notice he doesn't offer any like, uh, let me unpack some theology. Let me just kind of break some doctrine down for you and help you really exegete this whole thing that I just said and all that. Oh, he didn't say any of that. He just says, well, what are you going to do now? I've said what I've said. What are you going to do? You going to go? And Peter says, Lord, where would we go? To whom would we go? You have the words of life. And we've come to see that you truly are the Christ. And he had that revelation so deep that it settled even the most difficult decisions that he would have to make 
when it would be time to follow Jesus down a difficult path. I don't know that Peter was really able to reconcile any of this stuff about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. I think he just had to get to a point where he said, you're Jesus, you're the son of God, and your words are the word of life, and I may not even understand them, but I'm going to trust in them, and I am going to continue to follow you. Hallelujah. I promise you, you will come to a point where there'll be some things about living for Jesus that are going to cost you some things that are going to be really hard. You may not even fully understand, but you've got to get to a place where you've reconciled in your heart. You've resolved this thing. If Jesus says it, it is so. And if he calls me to go down that direction, I'm going to go no matter what the cost. I love the way Peter responds, though, because he says, Lord, where would we go? Like, it's too late, Lord. No, I mean, it's, this isn't easy. I'm going to be honest. This is going to be tough. But we've already kind of resolved this thing, Jesus. We're not leaving you. We're going whatever direction that you go, Lord. And I know, I see them. They're all leaving. They're all walking away right now. They're all heading back. And none of them are going to keep following you. But we're not going anywhere, Jesus. We may have lost hundreds of friends today, but we're not leaving you, Jesus, because you're the Son of God and you have the words of eternal life. And I think if we look at this closely, we'll see what we really need to know about what to do when the temperature gets turned up, when it gets really hard and it starts to get really difficult, you know what you do? You press in even tighter. You draw in even closer. No, I, no, no, Jesus. No, I see him leaving, but no, Jesus. We're not going anywhere. In fact, I actually want to get even closer to you right now because this is really hard and this is really difficult. If I'm being honest, and my feelings and my emotions, they're kind of like all over. The, they're off the chain right now. They're going everywhere. That's why I need to lean on the spirit right now. And I just need to trust you. I just need to get close to you, Lord. Help me. Guide me through this thing. And he will. When it gets tough, we get tighter. We get closer. We don't walk away. Jesus is, he's calling all of us to great and mighty things. Do you not? think there will be a cost. There will. But if our conviction level is such that we refuse to allow ourselves to become lukewarm, praise God, we will be an accurate reflection of the church in our generation. And I think this whole thing in Revelation is so that they could see you, you will never be a potent, effective church in your generation if you're lukewarm. Convenient Christianity will not transform societies and generations. It just won't. It just, it blends in. It's stale. It's bland. When salt loses its flavor, it's thrown out. It just won't. But conviction, true disciples, followers of Jesus who've said, I've, I've counted the cost and I'm going. Every step of the way. I'll never leave you, Lord. And I tell you something, he'll never leave you either. The last verse in this thing with Jesus in John 6, this exchange between him and Peter, it's kind of always blown me away. I never really knew what to think about it. 
Because Peter pours his heart out. Like the dude lays his heart on the table, right? For, with Jesus. And you're thinking that Jesus is going to be like, that a boy, Peter. That's my boy, man. Come here, man. Bro hog, man. Yes. Yeah, awesome, Peter. Such an example. <laughs> um, but he says something different. He says, well, one of you is a devil. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, come on. Don't kick a bro when he's down, you know. I mean, we're, we could use a little pick-me-up right here. I just laid my heart. I just told you I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to stay. And you just told me one of us is a devil? Obviously, he was referring to Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. And the Lord spoke to me recently on this thing yesterday. <laughs> and he, he said that the way that I, he showed me the picture was Jesus was talking to Peter, and Peter was genuine. Peter laid his heart out. He said, we, we will never leave you, Lord. Where would we go? And Jesus says, one of you is a devil. You know what he's saying? Peter, you don't all feel that way. You feel that way, Peter, but you don't all feel that way. And he wasn't talking about the multitudes who were already leaving. He was talking about somebody in the inner ring. He was talking about one of the 12. And I just have this burden, like the Lord's been dealing with me on this lately, that, <clears throat> you know, we have to realize that there are people who are walking in and out of church buildings every single week who are clueless about what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, we have to, I know we start and we move forward and get there, but all I'm saying is like, we need to know that we've still got to preach truth every single Sunday in these pulpits, and we've still got to say things that are going to hurt people when they hear them. If it's truth, it's penetrating. It's piercing. But God said, he said, Matt, you cannot allow, to the point where it's like, look, we have a big church, we have a big church, we have a little church, we have a little church, I don't know, whatever, but I am not going to be one of those preachers that allows uh, lukewarm Christianity to go unchecked. I'm just not. And that is just the way it's going to be here, you know? Because God's changed me way too much. And I've seen too much. I've experienced too much to sit here and try to f cast some phony, stale message, something that's just going to appease you or that's just going to satisfy your ears or, you know, I don't want people to leave, so let's tone it down a little bit. I'm just never going to do that. I can't. And so far as I can tell, Jesus never did either. He just never did. He calls us to a higher place. He calls us to follow him and forsake all. I'm just praying today. I want to encourage you today. Yes, it's going to get hard. There are going to be moments. And if it hasn't yet, then you probably will be experiencing that soon. Sorry to let you know that. But walking with Jesus can be really hard sometimes. But it's got to be the only way. It's got to be the only way in here.
And if you will draw in tighter to him, closer, press in, you'll find every strength, every peace, every joy, everything you need. The fruit of God abounds in those who abide in the vine. Stay close in everything you need, even through the difficult path. When it seems like the cost is great, I promise you the reward is greater. Would you stand to your feet with me and let's pray today.